Hey guys and welcome to a new episode. This is your host Mohammed. We'll get started with MSK questions. The location of the capitulum. The capitulum is located along the lateral or inferior distal to the lateral epicondyle of the humerus. Again, capitulum is lateral, trochlea is medial. Now I know the capitulum abuts the radial head because of my mnemonic which is crapitulum. C is for capitulum and crap, R is for radius. So crapitulum tells me that the capitulum meets the radius and it is located along the lateral epicondyle. Imaging features of relapsing polychondritis, we see diffuse tracheal narrowing and smooth thickening of the cartilaginous portion of the trachea with sparing of the posterior tracheal membrane. We have the similar presentation with tracheobronchopathia osteochondroplastica except for TPO. There is nodular involvement in relapsing polychondritis. We have smooth thickening of the cartilaginous portions of the trachea. Truncus arteriosus. This is when you have a single blood vessel. Truncus arteriosus coming off of the right and left ventricle. Again, truncus arteriosus is a single blood vessel coming off of the right and left ventricles. Fracture of C1 usually involving the anterior and posterior arches. This is Jefferson fracture because it involves the anterior and posterior arches, meaning we get two fracture lines and so we get four, fra I'm sorry, we get four fractures at all. So we fracture C1 in both anterior and posterior arches, getting four fractures. Now, Jefferson fracture is caused by axial loading, typically while diving and hitting the head. What is the names of the first four cranial nerves? The cranial nerve number one is the olfactory nerve. Cranial nerve number two is the optic nerve. Cranial nerve number three is the oxalomotor nerve. And cranial nerve number four is the trochlear nerve. Again, olfactory, optic, oculomotor, and trochlear nerve. As opposed to relapsing polychondritis and TPO, which spares the posterior membranous trachea, what differential that involves the circumferential trachea, meaning cartilaginous and membranous portion, typically we have four pathologies that we think of, tuberculosis, amyloidosis, Wagner's granulomatosis, and sarcoidosis, all these four would involve the both membranous and cartilaginous portions of the trachea. For tuberculosis in particular, we have circumferential tracheal thickening with multifocal stenosis and long segment narrowing, typically a couple of, three, couple of centimeters of stenosis. Again, for TB, tracheal involvement or tracheal tuberculosis, we have circumferential tracheal thickening with multifocal stenosis how to differentiate between intramural hematoma and thrombosed aneurysm on CT scan. In intramural hematoma, it pushes the calcifications mirror medially because intramural is a hematoma within the wall. So as you can imagine, the calcifications will be pushed medially. Now in thrombosed aneurysm, aneurysm is outpouching, which means the calcifications would be peripheral and pushed peripherally. So we would have the thrombosed aneurysm sac with the calcifications peripherally. If it was an intramural hematoma, the calcifications will be medial to the thrombus. Positive predictive value formula. This is true positive over true positive plus false positive. 
negative predictive value formula. So true negative divided by true negative plus false negative. Introvaginal torsion. This is a torsion of the testis due to Bell Clapper's deformity. What is Bell Clapper's deformity? This is when there is failure of normal posterior anchoring of the epididymis and testis. So the testis would be hanging freely like a clapper of a bell and it can torse or rotate around in itself which would cause uh, vascular compromise. Again, the defect is termed bell clapper's deformity and it's because of the absence or failure of posterior anchoring of the epididymis and testis. This is often bilateral and happened in puberty. So whenever it's found the surgery during surgery, after they fix the torsed testicle, they will anchor the opposite testicle, making sure that it does not tort because the bell clapper deformity is typically bilateral when present. A quick summary of idiopathic interstitial pneumonias. This is a revision from a full episode that we dedicated to this disease process. Now, the most common is idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, and the key thing is traction bronchiectasis and honeycombing with lack of ground glass opacities. This differentiates it from nonspecific interstitial pneumonia, NSIP, where there is thickening of the alveolar septa with bilateral ground glass opacities with key characteristic features of subpleural sparing, meaning the pulmonary or pulmonary parenchyma adjacent to the pleura is not involved, and then the rest of the pulmonary parenchyma is involved with the ground glass opacities. The key thing is for NSIP, there is no honeycombing. There is the ground glass opacities acute interstitial pneumonia. Now this has the worst prognosis and it's similar to diffuse alveolar damage and similar clinical presentation to acute respiratory distress, ARDS. Cryptogenic organizing pneumonia. The key feature for it is atoll sign. We said atoll sign is basically ground glass opacity surrounded by a rim of consolidation. Lymphoid interstitial pneumonia, we said we typically see this with Sjogren, an HIV patient with diffuse or lower low predominant ground glass opacities and thin perivascular cysts. These cysts can coalesce and be complicated with, with the formation of a pneumothorax. And the last two, which are a spectrum of each other, the respiratory bronchitis interstitial lung disease, where macrophages would fill the terminal airway and it would present as ground glass, central lobular nodules seen in smoker. And finally, the last one is disquamative interstitial pneumonia, DIP, where we have the continuation of RBILD with basal predominant ground glass. And it is the continuation, as we said, with RBILD. The difference from it is the distribution. RBILD, we said typically upper low predominant. DIP is typically basal predominant cyanatic congenital heart disease with increased pulmonary vascularity that present in childhood. So this is obviously by saying it present in childhood is not a lethal or a severely uh, bad shunt, typically seen in ASD, VSD, PE, PDA, and ACD or endocardial cushion defect. Key thing to remember that endocardial cushion defect is associated with Down syndrome. Double bubble with 
without distal gas, meaning only air in the stomach and proximal duodenum. This is consistent with duodenal atresia, presents in the first few days of life. Double bubble with distal gas, meaning that air somehow got into the distal small bowel. This includes midgut volvulus, annular pancreas, where the pancreas wraps around the duodenum. And finally, a variation of duodenal atresia, which include stenosis and duodenal stenosis or duodenal web. Differences between pseudodiverticulosis in the urinary system or ureters and ureteritis cystica. Pseudodiverticulosis, just like in the colon, it's outpouching of the epithelium through the muscularis layer caused by chronic inflammation, and we see contrast material outside of the normal line of the uterus because of the contrast would be filled in the diverticulosis. Uteritis cystica is commonly seen in diabetic patients and uh, patients with uh, recurrent UTI, and it's typically multiple submucosal cysts. So what we see, we see filling defects, so it's opposite presentation. Word trochea referred to, it can be either a femoral anatomy location, which is the patellar trochlea, or where the patella would track along the femur, or it can refer to the trochlear groove in the humerus and the distal humerus, where the ulna would fit. So the trochlea is where the olecranon process would fit, and that's in the humerus. In the femur, it's where the patella would track. Let's do a quick review of osteochondrosis. So osteochondrosis of the thoracic spine is referred to as Sherman's disease of the capitulum is Panner's disease of the distal radius, mid-lung deformity of the lunate, kind box disease in the femoral head, like calf parthes disease in the patella at the patellar tendon origin sending Larsen-Johansen disease at the patellar tendon insertion, Oshkod-Schlatter's disease in the proximal tibia, Blount's disease in the calcaneum, Severs disease on the navicular bone, Kohler's disease, and on the metatarsal heads, Friedberg's disease. Let's take it from the top. Thoracic spine, Schurman's disease, capital and Panner's disease, distal radius, mid-lung, lunate, kindback, femoral head, leg calf parties, Patellar tendon origin, sending Larsen Johansson, patellar tendon insertion, Oshgood Schlatter, proximal tibia, Lance disease, calcaneum, Severs disease, navicular bone, collars, and metatarsal heads, Friedberg's disease. A quick summary on the differences between osteochondrosis of the capitulum and osteochondritis desiccan of the capitulum. So, osteochondrosis of the capitulum is also known as Panner's disease. The key thing for osteochondritis desiccans is that there is a, an osseous or bony fragment. In Panner's disease, there isn't. It's just an inflammation involving, involving the entire capitulum versus a small bony fragment within the uh, joint space or off of the capitulum, which means indicating the treatment for, a, you know, just total involvement. It's a benign process, has good prognosis without any need for intervention there is a loose or a bony fragment, this would require surgery and prognosis not very well clear. Age is also different. Panner's disease, between seven to 12 years old, osteochondritis desiccan is 13 to 12, uh, sorry, 13 to 16 years of age. Again, both processes happen to the capitulum with osteochondrosis 
there isn't bony fragment. It's just generally involved and has a generally bright signal or inflammation. With osteochondritis, there is an actual breakoff or a bone island. All right, let's do it as promised. The neurocutaneous syndromes. We'll start with NF1, otherwise known as von Richenhausen disease. This is a tumor suppressor gene. The key features for it is multiple CNS malignancies, particularly optic nerve glioma, juvenile polycystic polycytic astrocytoma, and brainstem glioma. It is associated with bony abnormalities, including sphenoid wing dysplasia. About 50% of it is sporadic and 50% autosomal dominant. Additional tumors associated with NF1 are numerous, but particular tumors include Wallen's tumor, rhabdomyosarcoma in the heart, AML in the kidneys, and leomyosarcoma. We'll move for neurofibromatosis type 2. Now, this is completely different from NF1, and the mnemonic for it is MISS-ME2, MISS for multiple inherited schwannoma, ME, the M stand for meningioma, and the E stand for ependymoma, and the 2 that I added for it reminds me that I'm talking about NF2. Next disease is Sturge-Weber syndrome or encephalotrigeminal angiomatosis. Key features are facial port wine stain due to capillary malformation and failure of normal cortical venous development with cortical atrophy and subcortical parenchymal calcification. This presents with seizure. Now, tuber sclerosis is a hamartomous disorder affecting multiple organs. On MRI, we see multiple T2 hyperintense, white matter cortical and subcortical tubers, and subependymal nodules. On the heart, we have cardiac rhabdomyoma. In the lung, we have LAM or a similar presentation to LAM, lymphangioleomyomatosis. And with the kidney, we have AML. Now, notice that with tuberous sclerosis, we have cardiac rhabdomyoma. With NF1, because it's a tumor suppressor gene, we have rhabdomyosarcoma. Finally, we'll end with Osler Weberan dude syndrome or hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia. This is associated with multiple mucocutaneous telangiectasias involving multiple organs, including the skin and mucous membrane, GI tract, lung, liver, brain. And in the liver, we have dilated hepatic and portal vein and arteries with interparenchymal communication, which present with mottled appearance of the liver. We do CT scan of the lung or a CTA of the lung to evaluate for pulmonary AVM, which can present with shortness of breath, and we do at least once in a lifetime brain MRI to look for intracranial AVM. Let's bring it from the top. Neurofibromatosis type 1 or von Richenhausen disease, multiple CNS malignancies including optic nerve glioma, juvenile polycytic astrocytoma, and brainstem glioma. We have sphenoid wing dysplasia. Other tumors include Wilms tumor, cardiac rhabdomyosarcoma, AML, and leomyosarcoma. For neurofibromatosis type 2, the mnemonic is MISS-ME2. So MISS is multiple inherited schwannomas, which cause hearing loss, meningiomas, and ependymomas. The 2 points out it's NF2. Sturge-Weber syndrome or encephalotrigeminal angiomatosis present with facial port wine stain due to capillary malformation, failure of the normal cortical venous formation or development, presenting with cortical atrophy and subcortical parenchymal calcification, and clinically they present with seizures. Tuberous sclerosis is a hamartomas disorder affecting multiple organs 
with multiple T2 hyperintense white matter cortical and subcortical tubers and hematomas and subependymal nodules can have cardiac rhabdomyoma and in the lungs we can have a cyst which are similar to LAM or lymphangioleomyomatosis and in the kidneys we have renal AML so for NF1 and tuberous sclerosis they sh share two common things they both have renal AML and cardiac for NF1 we have rhabdomyosarcoma and for tubular sclerosis we have cardiac rhabdomyoma Finally, we'll end with Osler-Werberandu syndrome or hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia, HHT, multiple mucocutaneous telangiectasia with involvement of multiple organs, skin, mucous membrane, GI tract, lung, brain, and liver. We said we scan the lung with a CTPA a year or every two years to evaluate for AVM, and we do at least once in a lifetime brain MRI to evaluate for AVM in the head. Given this extensive review, for the neurocutaneous syndromes. We'll stop here today and we'll pick it up tomorrow.